Welcome to Beauty Will Save the World. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Susie Solaviv. I am a narrative consultant working for myself, a cradle Orthodox Christian from a convert family, married to Gregory. We have one daughter. We live outside of Boston, and I read way too many books. I'm Rebecca Lonovich. I love the Orthodox Christian Church, and I want to share conversations here about the faith from our hybrid cradle convert perspective. I'm married to Victor, the best person in the world, and together we have three sons and live in the Pennsylvania wilds. This podcast is about faith and friendship, family and food, feminism, books, Netflix, art, and music. All the things. Most of all, it is about our experiences of beauty that brings us deeper into the love of God. Welcome to another episode of Beauty Will Save the World with Rebecca and Susie, your awesome hosts. <laughs> <laughs> we say we're awesome. Yes. And we say we're a dynamic duo. And we wanted to talk today a little bit about our favorite saints, starting with the Murbang women, since today is the, the um, Sunday we commemorate them. So take it away, Susie. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to say that I feel weird saying favorite saint okay. because it's like having friends, you know, they're your best friends and they're good friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're, then they're the friends you don't really know, but who seem awesome. But anyway, I am named after St. Susanna the Merbearer, the most obscure of all the Merbearers. So today's my name's day. So obviously I have a great affinity for the Holy Merbearers. So since I'm named after an obscure saint, there isn't much known about her life. And so everything that I know about her, learn about her has always felt like a gift. And I... (laughs) it was really hard for me as a kid to feel any kind of connection to my patron saint because there's so little known about her. Mm -hmm. So I ended up becoming really attached to the Merbearers as a whole, as a group. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) my mother made a promise to name me after St. Susanna if I was a girl. So they knew I was going to be Susanna. And when I was growing up, she would always talk to me about how amazing what the Holy Murderers did was. Mm-hmm. She's always talk about how the women went to the tomb and she would say, and where were those men? And my response was supposed to be hiding. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. So she named me after feminist saints, like women who went out and did what needed to be done and who became the, the first to hear the good tidings of the resurrection. As an adult, I found out that St. Susanna, she's always discussed as being one of being the wealthy woman of the group. So she financially supported Christ and the apostles. Oh, wow. um, and as an adult, I found out that there's this class of women who would run businesses from their houses. Okay. Um, and they were... I guess the type of women that are referred to in, what is it, in Proverbs, where they talk about a good wife, where could one find her? Virtuous woman, Proverbs 31. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I remember them talking about, like, she sees a length of cloth and knows it, and she goes and sees a field, and she buys it. I don't know. I find that passage to be kind of a lot of pressure, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, her husband, he doesn't have anything to do. It says... The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. 
He's known in the land when he sits with the elders of the land. And as far as anyone can tell, he has no job. He doesn't need one. <laughs> she's got it locked down. Well, that seems to be what St. Susanna's role was. She's one of those women who had a business, sort of speculation, but this is the, the class of women. So she had lots of money and she had a lot of control over her own money. Right. Learning that made me feel closer to her. And then also I read a commentary about St. Susanna that said there is a sweetness in the fact that she is remembered only for the service to our Lord. And what better testament can there be of a life? And that's really lovely. Yeah. That's a, a nice thing to aspire to, to be remembered for your service to the Lord. And then also to, you know, go out and commit bold, radical act in following the Lord. Right. <laughs> Going to the tomb. So yeah, that's seen Susanna. And my parents also really liked the story of Susanna and the book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. You know, the one about the virtuous woman and the elders, like, want to get it on with her. And so they try to convince her, but she won't. Do you know the story? I don't know. I don't know if I remember it, Susie. Go ahead. Okay. So, so, the, so Susanna was a virtuous woman. These elders found her most appealing, let us say. And when she turned them down they went and they lied publicly about her saying she had slept with someone like she had been seen fornicating and Daniel takes them each aside and turn asks them what kind of tree they saw her under and they give uh, different answers. The elders give different answers. And so her virtue is proven. So she's one of these righteous women in the old Testament who symbolized something, I'm sure, but I think my parents just really liked the story of the virtuous woman who has proven to be in the right. So I'm like a little bit named after her, but most, but my patron saint is St. Susanna the Murderer. Okay. You know, that's my sister's name saint as well, Abby. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Her middle name is Suzanne and she was named when she was born, not after St. Susanna because we weren't Orthodox, but after someone that my mom knew who she was really close to who had passed away and the little girl's name was Susanna, but it didn't go so well with Abigail. So they named her Suzanne as a middle name. And then when we came into the church, we were all um, uh, choosing names, trying to stick with our given names as much as possible, but no one could, uh, could find a reference for Abigail among the, the lists of saints, which I think it is actually a legitimate Saint's name, but at the time, uh, no one could figure that out. So she took the name Susanna instead. And uh, so, yeah, that's how she. So it's her name's day too. Yes. Well, many years to her. Thank you. I will pass that on. I, I just posted a couple of pictures of icons of St. Susanna on my Instagram. So you should send them to her. <laughs> okay. Yes, I will. I think she kind of like for you, like the same way she feels very close to them, like the murmuring women that they were brave and served the Lord and um, weren't afraid, like you said. And as we were reading the the prayers and, and things during the services, our reader services before Pascha, I noticed again and again that the, the women disciples of the Lord, who I, I think are these women, Yes. If I understand correctly, over and over again in the readings, it said that the disciples were afraid and it said, but the disciples of the Lord proclaimed, 
he will rise on the third day. And they kept saying this over and over again. And I never had heard that or noticed it. I never really heard like a sermon on it or anything. But is there, is there more to like, they weren't just going to anoint his body, but that, that they were planning to witness the resurrection? Uh, I don't, they didn't know because nobody really understood what was going to happen. You know, like nobody, nobody really understood. Right. So the women were, they were going to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, they were going to anoint the Lord's body with these precious oils and spices because he had been buried in haste. Right. So the proper rituals had not been conducted. And so this this was a bold act for a number of reasons, in part because they were women and they weren't supposed to go and like, you know, do anything, but in part also because the Lord had been killed as the lowest of the low, you know, he, he was buried in haste and put aside and it would have been, and I, I'm saying all this, it's mostly taken from a sermon that my parish priest gave, but he, yeah, they were, it's pretty wild that they went out there and went to go anoint his body because they shouldn't, as pious Jewish women, have wanted to touch the body of somebody who had been condemned and killed in this disgraceful way. Uh. And, I mean, at the time, the apostles were hiding for a reason. Like, they were worried that they were going to be in trouble with Uh the elders, too. But the women were so set on doing the right thing, on carrying out the rituals and serving the Lord, that they went out anyway, regardless of the danger. I, I don't know if you know, he has a podcast on Ancient Faith Radio, Father Stephen D. Young. Um, What's the podcast called? The Whole Council. Yeah, I don't think I listened to that one. He has a several degree, I think, in biblical scholarship. And he comes from like a line of biblical scholars, but he himself is a convert, actually, um, from the Reformed tradition. But I find what he has to say about commentary of the scriptures so illuminating. He really focuses on connecting the Old Testament to the New and understanding what was written in the context of the um, culture at the time. So a lot of the things about like the Old Testament that, you know, that seem kind of weird and quirky <laughs> make a lot more sense when he explains it and like, oh, okay, you know, that was how people thought about things at the time. This is a common belief held not just among like the Israelites, but you know, this is how, for example, Egyptians thought about the afterlife and how that connects to the story of the the crossing of the Red Sea, just different things like that. Well, anyway, today I was reading his blog and I was wondering if he had anything to say about the women disciples of the Lord. Turns out he had a whole post and he was really drawing attention to the fact that in, in those times, which we tend to lose track of these days, women were not considered capable of higher education or really much education at all by the men of the time. They were basically like like children. They were considered to have the intellectual level and capacity of a child. And so that Christ incorporated women into his following that he allowed Mary of Bethany to sit at his feet and learn as the disciples were 
instead of um, sending her back to the to the kitchen to s- provide a meal that these women were in, in part of his discipleship his group was revolutionary mm. and that it was very clear in in this way that Christ was elevating the status of women during his time on uh, with us on earth and it and it made me remember oftentimes like the most clear declarations of who he was were made to women if you think back to the gospels when Christ comes to Bethany before he raises Lazarus from the dead, Martha comes to him and says, you know, if you had come sooner, my brother would not have died. And Christ says to her, I am the life and the resurrection. And that is the most clear up to that time, you know, like statement of who he is and what he is than anyone had received. Except maybe, maybe, you know, like Peter or like the, Peter, James, John at the Transfiguration, but it was so plain. And then also, this one I, I had never thought of, but it, it, it was mentioned in my son's religion textbook. He, he goes to Catholic school, and it was talking about the passage about the woman at the well, mm-hmm. woman. and I think he says, I am, I am the living water, who, whoever, what is it, whoever drinks of me, will not thirst will not thirst anymore and then she's like where's this water <laughs> right right and and again it was a revelation of himself and it was made to a woman and it turns out also by the way that wasn't the only woman that he met at a well Susie mm-hmm. because that's uh, apparently also he met Mary Magdalene at a well because yeah. I was at the well last summer oh that's awesome and it was in Galilee so I think there's a lot there because maybe we're not fully knowledgeable about the times of biblical times and ancient times, but that that was very intentional that Christ was elevating the status of women and placing them as equals with men in his kingdom. Yes. And um, and so, yeah, I just, I just wanted to kind of bring that in. (laughs) Yes. I, I think that's a very important point. I was reminded of something. So I just pulled up a blog entry. I had a blog over 10 years ago. Oh wow! Eleven years ago, where I wrote where I wrote about my religious thoughts. This is when I was living in New York City, and I worked two. I was working two internships, and living on like one hundred and eighty dollars a week, and was very very broke. And so I had a lot of time on my hands, and I would go to church a lot, and I was like spending a lot of time thinking about this. And I'm glad I had that. I'm glad I had that time. Although I don't think I would want to revisit it necessarily. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I'm just going to, I'm going to quote myself here. Hang on. I was writing about the Murbears. This is Sunday of the Murbears, 2009. My parish priest had mentioned that the Murbears had few rights under the system in which they were living. Their testimony could not be accepted in a court of law. They had to submit to the men in charge husbands and otherwise. They expected no glory in life and were content to serve Christ and aid his apostles by helping and comforting them materially. Since the fall and Eve's disobedience, it was their lot, and yet they were the first to hear of the joy of the resurrection. For this reason, I always feel that the Sunday of the Murbearers, who we sometimes refer to as equal to the apostles, is in a way a celebration of all the female saints and all the women who try now to follow Christ and serve him humbly. 
How many women do we know in our own lives who spend time humbly serving the church, their families, and the people around them? They may not get up and preach, but they make sure the church is clean and ready. They provide the consolation of a hot meal after a long service, perhaps at the expense of their own time in church. They take it for granted that it is their duty to ease the suffering of others, small or great. Being a woman in the Orthodox Church can be hard and lead to many temptations. Reflecting on the lives of the Marbearers, the dedication to doing what's necessary and right, regardless of personal cost, is a humbling reminder of every lay person's duty, male or female. We need not do great things in the eyes of the world to do great things in the sight of the Lord. Oh, I'm making myself like get all emotional. Yeah. St. <laughs> Susanna only gets one line in the, um, mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, but she is witness to the greatest event in history. Right. Okay, here's the, here's the quote from St. Theophan the Recluse. The t- this is from Thoughts for Each Day of the Year. The tireless women, they would not give their eyes to sleep nor slumber to their eyelids until they found their beloved. But the men, as if dragged their feet, they went to the tomb, saw it empty, and remained in confusion about what it could mean because they did not see him. But does this mean they had less love than the woman? No, here was a reasoning love which feared making a mistake due to the high price of this love and its object. When they too saw and touched him, they each of them, not with his tongue like Thomas, but with his heart confessed, my Lord and my God, and already nothing could separate them from the Lord. The myrrh and the apostles are an image of the two sides of our life, feeling and reasoning. Without feeling, life is not life. Without reasoning, life is blind. Laughers, little sound fruit and much is wasted. We must combine both. Let feeling go forward and arouse. Let reason determine the time, place, method, and generally the practical arrangement of what the heart suggests to do for us. Within, the heart comes first, but in practical application, reason comes first. That's it. That's all I have for quotes. (laughs) Well, that was a good one. (laughs) So my history with St. Theophon the Recluse is that I was a young girl of about 17, 18 years old, and two different priests were like, oh, you're a young girl. Uh, you should read St. Theophon the Recluse. The letters he wrote, what's it called? The Spiritual Life and How to Attain It. Oh, yeah. Which is a a book of letters he wrote to a young woman, Russian woman, who who had sort of a revelation and wanted to enter deeper into the spiritual life. And I think she eventually became a nun, which is great for her. But between you and me, Susie, I was already living the life of a nun. It was was dull as heck. I was homeschooled. (laughs) didn't have anywhere to go or anything to do. My parents like were so enthusiastic about fast. They're like, you know what? We can fast from food and uh, TV and not that we got to watch much anyway. And you know what? I think you should only read spiritual reading. Like don't bother with those novels. Can I throw out a controversial statement here? (laughs) If you're enthusiastic about fasting, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) The truth. Anyway, it was the worst. And and when I read the beginning of that book, this young girl describes being at a ball and everybody twirling around and dancing and having a good time. And she just immediately had this vision of herself and I don't know, the last judgment or something and how everything was vanity. And I was just reading this and thinking, I would give anything to go to a ball. I couldn't even go to I couldn't even go to prom. Like I was homeschooled and I and I said, No, I wish I just wish I could go to prom. My mom said, Well, even if you did go to public school, we wouldn't let you go to prom. So What? There were not many chances for me, Susie. I'm just saying. So 
Yeah. So everyone's like, oh, you should read St. Theophon the Recluse. That's some inspiration for you. <laughs> I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know who I really like? I really like Mother Maria Skopovica, who was a nun who ate meat and like smoked cigars and oh this was is the divorced. one in paris of paris yes yes yeah and she like she didn't do any of the she didn't do a lot of the proper nun things but she still saved all of these children from the holocaust and yes. was martyred and was awesome and is now canonized and it's like oh yes. you just it, you never know like you yes. never know like, we, should we try to be good and follow the rules? Yes, absolutely. But what really matters at the end of the day is bringing our hearts to God. Right. Yes. And God will use what, <laughs> whatever you can scrape together. Yes. <laughs> it is not a very good offering. Which <laughs> 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 just mine is not. Yes. <laughs> but no, that's true. He makes all things new. And um, whatever whatever we have to offer, God can use it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so I was talking to a friend just recently about how I was raised with Catholic guilt without knowing it, <laughs> and how unhealthy it is and not Orthodox, because he had a similar experience. You know, my father was Catholic before he converted, which okay. was a long, long time before I was born, but yeah, and I'm from Boston, where everybody is... It's in the air, like, isn't it? Catholic guilt's in the air. <laughs> Yeah, everybody, everybody is Catholic or former Catholic or, like, has Catholic relatives. So the Catholic okay. Church is just, like, pervasive. And so I, I really, I grew up with this feeling of Catholic guilt and didn't understand that until after I was married. But this idea, like, this, this idea that, like, this legalistic idea of forgiveness and behaving properly... <laughs> <laughs> like honestly like uh, my friend and I both had the com shared the common experience of absolutely panicking in the communion line because we remembered a sin that we didn't confess oh yeah and so it's like but I'm not you know I'm not clean now or whatever right, right. so anyway I I'm very anti-legalism in that way <laughs> Well, yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. I think, I think I had a sort of a similar experience, but strangely, coming into the church actually really helped me with that. But may, I don't, I don't truly fully understand my experience. But maybe it was like a symptoms of anxiety, and I didn't really understand mm -hmm. it. I had, you know, coming into into like my early teens, I did have a lot of just like feelings of guilt. Like I would. You know, like, I think I maybe had some, like, trouble with kind of, like, compulsive thoughts. And I didn't understand any of that, and my parents didn't either. And I was so, I just struggled on my own. Like, I just didn't understand any of it. And coming into the church, my first experience of confession, I finally had a place to to take those things. And we we came in. The priest who baptized me, Father Paul Bassett, he has passed away, but I, I couldn't imagine a better a better priest, a better person to bring someone like me into the church. Like, he was so kind and so gentle and patient, 
and he, he himself had four daughters. And so he, oh, P.S. You know, all of whose names days are today. That's they're right. all, they're all oh, many years, Bassett girls, <laughs> Martha, Mary, Susanna, and Andrea. Anyway, Andrea, um, not. Oh, maybe not Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> um, wherever you are, many years. And, and so, you know, I, I just finally had like a, a, a thing to do with that. And in a kind of, you know, well, I would say very sort of grace-filled way, it kind of took away that problem for me. I don't, so I don't think maybe I had like a strong tendency towards that particular kind of like OCD or something like that, but it was just, I didn't have any knowledge or way to understand it or deal with it but like confession was like a gift to me to like oh if you have something that's bothering you here's what you do with it you know <laughs> and that was it that was a real gift so, yeah yeah I, I don't think that I identified those thoughts as a problem until I was an adult um, uh-huh. and specifically until I was until after I had my daughter because I do have I do st- struggle with intrusive thoughts. It's part of my, my constellation of mental health. uh, (laughs) Um, So so depression, anxiety, and I've been tentatively diagnosed with OCD, but I haven't like, I don't have a formal OCD diagnosis, but like we, we all know that I'm OCD. (laughs) (laughs) Like we just, we know because the, I I would say, but (laughs) No, but like OCD in women shows up differently than it does in men. Um, and intrusive thoughts are a big part of that. Uh, so just having, having thoughts that you can't get rid of that just keep coming up. Like a common one is thinking that you've hit someone with your car, even though you have zero evidence of that. Yeah. So like very heightened anxiety while driving because you, you think you might have hit someone with your car and just, there's no reason to think that it's just your, your brain being extra protective and trying to help you out Uh when you don't need it to do that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But so I think there was an element of that, but mostly like I was just trying to be pious and trying to live a religious life and didn't didn't know how to ask the questions, didn't know that there might be something that I needed to, to understand better or change my way of thinking. Right. About, uh, and I think that happens to everybody who comes from convert families, especially. <laughs> <laughs> I think it happens to everybody. Convert. But- the mental, like, we're just going to go ahead and run that mental illness profile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that opens a new checklist. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but I mean, like, yes, with the mental illness thing, but also with, like, with people from convert families, it's, I mean, like, obviously you converted, but I think, like, we, although I am cradle orthodox, uh-huh. uh, there are still, like, little hang-ups that just came in from a non-Orthodox family. Right, right. Little superstitions or whatever that parents and family members have no idea they even have until they figure it out eventually right. in life. Or like, I notice. I think we should have a whole episode on this, by the way, like the convert experience and like convert yeah. versus cradle with the husbands because I think they would have some perspective, interesting perspective. But yeah, I would like to clarify that I am a cradle Orthodox. Yes, I, yes. Yeah. But like, the, you know, like <laughs> the convert milieu, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it is yeah. different than like if you, 
you know, like your family is, is you know, Russian or Greek or whatever. Yeah. It's different. It's different. Yes, it is. <laughs> like vocabulary, how people talk about church things or like spiritual things. It's more native to like the Catholic church or evangelicalism or um, non-denominational, like charismatic, whatever, like that my parents sort of came from <laughs> or maybe reformed, whatever. And even though you're striving for like an orthodox mind, an orthodox way of life and a, like a way of thinking, you still sort of shunt orthodox into like the, into the framework that you already have. And yes. You know, and and no, it's nobody's fault. I mean, it's just how you understand things. But it takes a while to sort of dismantle that and reconstruct. And it's kind of the work of a lifetime, I think. And and in the meantime, you know, if you if you aren't kind of self aware, it can you know you can it can cause some damage to yourself and to others. I think. I so I have a friend whose family converted. I don't know, maybe two or three years ago. And I think it's, it's coming up on three years. Um, And she was commenting to me that she still feels like a beginner. And I said, yeah, you know what? Me too. (laughs) She said, that's what all Orthodox people tell me. And I was like, I know it's so unsatisfying, but (laughs) (laughs) well, it would be a bad sign. If like, you felt like, I think I've got the hang of it. They'd be like, Oh, there it is. That spiritual deception. There it comes. (laughs) Yeah. Yup. <laughs> Even the saints feel like they're beginners, right? Like that's kind of like their trademark. They're like, oh yeah, I haven't even like. Well, I forget which saint it was. You know, like his his disciples or like you know like younger monks, or whatever, were gathered around him. I've just heard this anecdote, and they're you know you know Father, give us give us a word, tell us you know about the spiritual life, and and as they're sitting with him, his face is shining with the uncreated light, so full of the Holy Spirit. And he just, he just says, you know, I have not yet begun to repent. And I regret that. And, and I, that, that idea like bugged me for so long. I was like, how do these things not get it? Obviously they're better than like a lot of people. But then <laughs> someone, I forget, I think maybe, I don't know, another podcast, I think maybe they were talking about it and, and about the fact that like these saints because they're closer to God, they see themselves more clearly. It's not because they're looking at themselves and like, they can't see the difference between themselves and like, you know, a wife beater or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that they're they're only looking at God, even (laughs) the closer that you get to him, the brighter the light of Christ shines in your life. You see yourself more clearly and to be at that place and not despair, but to truly see yourself and know how, as the same does, you know, how far they are from the glory of God and still not despair and like go further and go deeper into the love of God. Well, I guess that's what sainthood is. <laughs> yeah. I'm a waster in that. I'm still a beginner <laughs> and I really do know that. <laughs> well, maybe I feel like a beginner, not because I'm at the beginning of my journey, but because I feel that I'm constantly having to begin again. Yeah. Um, like it's like you start with the basics and then you just fall off. Yeah. Start the basics, fall off, start again. Like you know, really honestly, just with something as simple as morning and evening prayers. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um 
Yeah. And then, okay. So <laughs> here, here's another example of feeling like a beginner. Yes, sure. Maybe now you're in the habit, you, the general, you are in the habit of saying morning and evening prayers. Now you have to pay attention to them right? <laughs> while you're reading them. And then once you start paying attention to them, then you have to like believe them <laughs> and yes. feel them, you know? And I'm not talking about belief, general belief, I mean, starting to feel them in your heart. and actually participate in the prayer. Right. And so, yeah, it's just constant, constantly going back and working on the basics. Yeah. Maybe it's like ballet. Ah. (laughs) You have to go back and practice like every, every, for like all five positions every day and all the basic steps every day. And if you don't, then you can feel it. Huh. Interesting. Bella watches, my daughter watches a lot of ballet, so like, oh, that's always right. on my mind. We were treated to that. Nutcracker ballet. Big hit. Oh, yeah. Big I'll, never, I'll never forget Luca coming up out of his, his room in the morning, um, and Ella was already up and watching Mr. Rogers, and Luca, like, pause in the, in the breakfast room and says, I hate Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Who hates Mr. Rogers? My kid. That's who. (laughs) (laughs) That was a beautiful moment. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. Well, I will let you know she's expanded uh, her interests. She's now also willing to watch Reading Rainbow. Oh, I loved Reading Rainbow. I also love Mr. Rogers and ballet as a little girl. But yes, Reading Rainbow was great. Yes. Oh, we we found a documentary about Fabergé on Ooh. Amazon and all we the three of us watched it together and that was actually really pretty good. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Okay, did you have a favorite scene you wanted to talk about? Well, you know, if you're orthodox and in the Russian uh, tradition, you can't not have Saint Senya, right? Yes, 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 yes. And I actually really didn't get her for the longest time because coming from my Protestant background, it didn't resonate with me. Her story, old lady in the graveyard cemetery or whatever, just, I was like too eccentric. And and also, uh, I think maybe from the American, like Protestantism, there's a real distrust of, of anybody who isn't prosperous, you know, in some sense or other. So, so you're not going to have a role model who's not got it together, you know, more yeah. Proverbs 31 woman than St. Xenia who was homeless and to all appearances mentally ill. And why is she taking bricks up? That's somebody's job. Like, like it did, <laughs> none of it made sense to me. And I know so many people loved her so much and I was just, oh, you know, that's just not for me. And then when we were going to move here to Pennsylvania, from West Virginia, we saw this property, which we ended up buying, and we had looked all over and done a lot of online searching, and then in person, we came up for one day and saw a bunch of stuff, and when I saw this house and this property, I just fell in love, and it had like these little details and touches as if it had been made for us. There's gas lamps by the bridge. 
there's a bridge. <laughs> yeah. um, there's, and Victor, my husband, like one of our first dates, he mentioned, he's like, I just love gas lamps. I want to have gas lamps someday. You know, this, the flickering light, he just really liked. There's a, you know, stream, beautiful woods that are old, you know, big trees. And then the house is um, unique and it, it just kind of a time capsule house. I think we've talked about it before. You've been here, Susie, you know what I'm saying. But, um, oh, yeah, I adore your house. it so much. It was the most, if someone had just crafted our perfect setting, we're on 25 acres of woods. It just surrounds our house. We're completely private. And it's so soothing and relaxing. And the, the place was beautifully landscaped. So looking out from the house, like towards the woods, it looks like parkland. It's just beautiful. It's just so nicely made. There's sort of dendrons all around. So then the spring, they bloom and um, it's just heaven. And in the fall, the colors, which is when we first saw it, there's a lot of maple trees. So it was beautiful fall colors. And we, we loved it. It was so exactly the most perfect house we could want. It was much, much more than we could afford. And our realtor said, well, you know, I think it might be a little overpriced. I'll see what I can do. And we saw a bunch of other houses, but this was by far our favorite. And when you went home, Victor and I were like, well, what should we do? And we're like, well, we can't do anything gotta wait and see. And I said, well, I think we should pray to St. Sonia. I said, she was homeless, so she understands about people needing a house. And that just occurred to me. And so we did. We um, Victor printed out the Akathist, and he faithfully prayed it. And our realtor did, did her research, and she wrote carefully wrote a letter to the realtor representing the people who own the house. And she cited some other houses in the area that she felt like were a better model for pricing. And then she came back to us and said, I think this is a good opening offer. We can negotiate from, from here, but I think this is a good start. And so that was our first, our first offer. And I, I couldn't believe it, but they actually accepted it. Like our very wow. first offer, they didn't counter, we didn't have to go up. It was exactly that. And so I have such a, a gratitude towards her and like, you know, now I see my boys playing outside. When we go out walking in our woods, I just, it was, it was such a beautiful gift. And so that our, our dream um, is to build a little chapel here on the property and name it for her. And that's like the least we can do, you know. But yeah, I, I know she's, her life and story is so, so Russian. It just doesn't make sense to Westerners in any way. <laughs> but it's so beautiful. And um, her humility and love and weirdness you know to everyone like everyone in the world and her love but her love for god and faithfulness are are now as i get older and embrace eccentricity <laughs> in myself <laughs> more i appreciate her so much more so yeah that's my i i also love saint Senya. i mean i think i think she's she is deservedly popular in the church abroad, but like, it's just, I feel like if you, if you come to know her, you just love her. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's because she is so generous and she showed so much love for anyone who doesn't know the, the way her story started was that she was married to a wealthy, was it army captain? Yeah. Military. I know he's military. Led, yeah. Yeah, they led a they led a very worldly life and then he dropped dead at a party that they were at. And overnight, pretty much she just reconsidered her entire life and was extremely terrified by 
the fact that he he had died without getting to go to confession or receiving communion or anything like that. And so she disappeared and her family thought she was dead for eight years. And then she came back and sold everything that belonged to them and dressed up in men's clothing and called herself by the name of her husband and basically lived as though she were him doing good works and praying for his soul nonstop. And if you read the Akathis, it lists the many miracles uh, that were... The one that always gives me pause, Susie. Do you know what I'm talking about? The one (laughs) where she advises a young woman, take uh, this money and take the train and uh, go to this village and you will find a young doctor whose wife has died. <laughs> yeah, your husband is burying his wife. <laughs> I, <Yes. laughs> I, I mean, like, I would appreciate if anything happened to me, saying I send a new mother for my children, but I would prefer that not to happen. I would like to put that on the record. <laughs> but we'll see, I guess. Victor, not allowed to, not allowed to get married. <laughs> If God forbid anything, is that the idea? <laughs> well, I'm not going to say no. I know she would have my family's best interest in mind, but I would prefer that it not to come to that is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but whatever happens, Susie, you cannot do a podcast with my replacement. You okay, fair. Done deal. I don't care how cool she is. <laughs> Yes, but Saint Senya has always like always been very close to our family as well. And my brother, who passed away uh, ten years ago, he felt a special reverence for her, and he also felt a very special reverence for her and for Saint Elizabeth, the new oh. martyr, who is one of my other, um, I would say, closest or favorite saints because. My daughter is named after her, and we attend Saint Senya Church, so. Oh. There you go. Gregory and I also felt like St. Senya had a strong hand in um, our finding our current home. Oh, we really? Wanted, yeah, yeah. We wanted, to, we wanted to move up here because it's cheaper and we wanted to be close to the church where our friends were and our daughter would have more kids, Orthodox kids to grow up around and where we could go to the services in English because we were both really struggling. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I love my, my home parish very, very much, but it had gone almost entirely Slavonic and it was just really hard on us. Yeah. And so we wanted to go to the English language parish. And when we found this house, it was the first house we put a bid on and our bid was accepted and then we actually got it for even less than that. We found a few problems and got $5,000 back at the closing. And everything was everything went so absurdly smoothly wow. with getting it that we both felt like, okay, I guess this is it. This is where we're meant to go next. Wow. Um, yeah, that's exactly how we felt, you know. Which yeah. I, our priest had told us before the move, he's like, you know, it'll be, you know, if this is the right thing, um, wherever you're supposed to be, like, it'll be, it'll be plain, it'll be clear to you. And I felt that way when we came up here uh, for Victor's interview, and then I just preferred it to the other places that we visited. And then not really, I mean, like, there were reasons I liked it, but like, I had no connection to this place. And then when we found the house, it just kind of confirmed that, like, whatever the reason is, like, this is our, this is our spot. And I love it. Love it here. The weather, I mean, the weather could be improved. It's like, it's, still, it's like still basically winter. I mean, 
that, you know, that could be better. But otherwise, I really love it. <laughs> well, I mean, no matter where you live, there's going to be a problem with the weather. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's what I'm complaining about. Well, Greg and I always talk about how we would we prefer the problems with New England weather to anywhere else because <laughs> we don't have hur- we don't, we have hurricanes, but not that like by the time it gets to us, it's you know it's not coastal yeah. so much anymore. Um, we don't have tornadoes. We don't have the crazy wildfires that they have in California, and we we don't have earthquakes. So, like, the worst that can happen is that you have a really bad blizzard, and then, like, you lose power, and you're stuck inside for a few days. Yeah, one winter, though, you had a blizzard every two days, and you, like, didn't, couldn't go anywhere or do anything, and the snow was all piled up, and remember yeah, that? Yeah, that was the worst it ever was, and it was three <laughs> weeks, so... Yeah, I can't go anywhere for three weeks, like, uh, amateur hour over here. Oh, yeah, we're on day 52. <laughs> I know. You're counting the days. <laughs> I yeah. am. I will admit that. I am counting. I am. It's It's not so much that I wake up every morning and think this is day number whatever. It's just that I started tracking by weeks <laughs> and then I did the math. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we're on day 52. Woohoo. <laughs> Trucking along. So I, I said two of my favorites or like my favorite, but you didn't like get one of like your own. So do you want to say one of your favorites? Um, sure. I mean, I guess I will go with the obvious, which is St. Elizabeth. So my daughter is named after her. She was very close to my brother who passed away. So my brother was asked by Metropolitan Loris to become a monk so that he could go to the Holy Land and help manage the Russian ecclesiastical mission there. And that was something that he did after Metropolitan Loris died. Metropolitan Hilarion asked him to, to yes, go ahead with that plan. Mm-hmm. And my brother had always felt really close to St. Elizabeth. He'd always been a, a big admirer of her and told me about her life. Like he would talk to me about how she was one of the greatest beauties of her time. She was very much in love with her husband. And then she went on to found a new kind of order of nuns. Right. And also made this huge contribution to the to the mission in Jerusalem. I mean, a lot of that is is thanks to her patronage. Uh-huh. Uh, and her her relics are there, her tomb is there. So my brother went when he went to the Holy Land, got to oversee the transfer of her relics, a portion of her relics to back to the Martha Marinsky convent oh, wow. in Moscow. And I know that was something that was really special to him. And I, my brother also attended St. Elizabeth Parish, which I, I also attended briefly in New Jersey. And okay. that, uh, that time that I spent at that parish is, has always been extremely special to me. I really, really loved it. The parish priest was the one who married us and his daughter is my daughter's godmother and um, one of my very good friends. That's where the Marlos go, right? Olivia's in-laws? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how I know the Marlos. Yeah, so, yeah. Because uh, of my time there. So, yeah, so I felt this strong connection to her, and when I visited her convent, 
in Moscow for the first time, it became instantly became my favorite place in Russia. Um, It just feels like fairyland to me. It's so beautiful. And like, she had such good taste. She picked out so many like little unique things that just make it marvelous. And like the fact that she really wanted, she wanted to create something where the nuns were dedicating their lives to service, which like, you know, they don't like to let women do that kind of thing. <laughs> but she she went ahead, you know, she used her personal resources and she slept very little and she also designed a more fashionable habit for the nuns, which I think is hilarious. Uh, it's a very yeah. nice one. I always thought, yes, that's better. Yes, <laughs> it is. I, I mean, the, the story of her martyrdom is just stunning. Right. When she was thrown into the, the mine shaft at Alapayevsk and after she was thrown down there with the other people, they could still hear them singing hymns. And I guess they were, they were ministering to each other down there. Right. Which is just incredible. So anyway, when Greg and I started dating, we knew we were going to get married, like more or less right away. And so we discussed children and children's names very early. Mm-hmm. And so Greg, it turned out, had made a promise to St. Elizabeth back when he was dating someone else <laughs> oh, wow. that he he would name his first daughter Elizabeth after her okay and oh. so yeah so so he like tested that out with me while we were dating just letting me know that he had made this promise and i said yes that's fine with me as long as we call her ella because that's my favorite nickname for elizabeth and i don't I kind of don't like just plain Elizabeth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I um, the saint, the saint was nicknamed Ella too. Yeah, yeah. And she, yeah, and <laughs> so Greg's family, as you well know, mother of three boys, <laughs> has only produced boys for like <laughs> the last hundred years. And I told Greg, you know that because you made this promise, you're going to have a girl, right? <laughs> And sure enough, <laughs> St. Elizabeth has been very good to her family. And she she provides her life and her presence and who she is just provide me with a lot of comfort and faith. Uh-huh. And my sister-in-law also has a special devotion to her, which I really love. Actually, two of my sisters-in-law, because my sister-in-law... Amy is named for St. Elizabeth, okay. and she, she chose that name when she was baptized, and my other sister-in-law, Emily, just has a, a special fondness for her as well, Aww. so she's very closely tied into my, to my family, and I love telling people about her, clearly. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's a wonderful book about her life by Yuboa Miller that I recommend to anyone who wants to learn more about her. She's just a a remarkable woman. Yes, yes. I think I read that a long time ago. I want to say, do I have a pink cover? Like a sort of maroon cover? Yeah, pink cover. Uh, You know, I think I was also always just a little enamored with the fact that she was considered one of, if not the most beautiful women in Europe of her time. Um, Right, yes. There's there's something about that, I think, especially as a young woman, when you're, like, thinking about getting – married and like I'm not saying looks aren't important to me now because obviously they are and this, <laughs> like, this podcast uh, is called beauty will save the world but at the time there was something about that that really captured my imagination apparently uh she didn't photograph especially well 
you couldn't quite see it, but you can see it in paintings of her. So to me, that that says something about her strength of character, too. Huh, interesting. You know, internal beauty, uh-huh, uh-huh. as well as external. Huh. Well, I mean, I think her, you know, her photos are very beautiful. We think about like an aristocratic face, you know, she's what you would imagine just so elevated, you know. Yes. But in a nice way, not like a snotty way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely. All right. I think we've been going for an hour. Should we okay. wrap up? Let's wrap up. I started following Kate Bowler on Instagram. Do you know who she is? No, Kate, how do you spell it? B-O-W-L-E-R. Okay. She wrote a book called um, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Have Loved. Oh, yeah, I've seen this book. I haven't read it. Me neither. I I had heard about it and I was intrigued, but I just hadn't got around to it. And I'm not a big reader. I'm going to change that. (laughs) But so she has been dropping some wisdom and this week, particularly about gratitude, that was kind of the theme of the week. And it's an idea that I've sort of struggled with gratitude. Other ones are like choosing joy. And I have not been able to get it arranged in my head how to be honest, even just with yourself, about how you're feeling that things aren't going well or that this is very hard or um, that I'm really struggling right now with looking on the bright side or choosing joy. I choose to be happy. I went look on the bright side. My glass is half full. I hate that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And most of the time when I encountered people that sort of had tried to implement that in their lives, like it just, to me, it just felt so inauthentic and false. And instead of inspiring, being inspiring to me, it made me angry because I was like, you know, you can't even be truthful with me. You can't even be truthful with yourself about what's going on with you right now. This isn't helping anyone. And it frustrated me, but I didn't know how to be. How are we supposed to live in hope and also acknowledge what's real? And I don't know if you know Cable or so. She's a professor of religious history, I think, at Duke School of Divinity. And Tennessee and things are going great for her. She was married. She had a little baby. And then um, out of nowhere, <laughs> she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Oh my gosh. And when her book is about, I guess, is her academic specialty is prosperity gospel. Oh. Um, and um, that's where she's done a lot of her work and research and, you know, that kind of name it and claim it, like be bold, print out what you want and, and get it and that kind of thing. And so I guess her book is about, you know, like having been in this milieu of like, not, I don't think she necessarily was a member of this as far as I know, maybe she at some time in her life was, but you know, being familiar with it, like this idea that you can get what you want from God just by actualizing it (laughs) versus like the very real suffering and loss that she was experiencing in her own life. And so whatever she says, it's come from a deep place. (laughs) And so, so she was talking about gratitude this week and she said, gratitude is not, if you want to picture like the, if you want to picture the problems that you have or like the things that are struggles or or that are sad or difficult in your life in one column and the things that you're grateful for in another column, you don't and you can't take anything out of the, of the difficult column. Like 
it is there. And, and gratitude is about counting smaller and smaller and smaller, more detail, tiny things, and putting them in the gratitude side. So that it never, it never really becomes less, like the bad things, they are what they are, but that you can recognize the good and the beautiful and the things full of joy all around you all the time and that you're able to put those so that becomes larger and greater and bigger so it's never denying uh, your suffering or pain it's about expanding your perspective to see mm. more good things not good not good things about what's happening to you although there there may be that but it's not about like finding the good and like the the ick it's about there's good everywhere and recognizing all around you and recognizing that so that was kind of a paradigm shift for me i have to say and very helpful so i wanted to share it with you and everyone else i love it thank you all right well we still need to figure out our sign off. How are we going to sign off? Oh, <sighs> I'm still workshopping it. So we'll come around to it. But eventually we will be on Facebook. We'll be on Instagram. Will we'll you be on Twitter? You can manage Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. I don't want to do that. I'm on Twitter. Okay. Some days it's great. Other days it's not. <laughs> so There's so much meanness out there. Like, and I, that's why I'm not on there. But like, even if, even Facebook is getting kind of kind of grody, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, oh. Yes, I wanted to say too. I will, I'm sure, say something that's wrong in the course of this, or incorrect, or in the wrong words. And I am very open to constructive criticism. <laughs> so if you have something to say about what we said, please please let us know good or bad, but particularly if it's bad, because you know, we, I will add here that we are more <laughs> likely to listen to you if you're polite. Yes. No, I was like constructive criticism. And I mean, good grammar, obviously like other, if you can't no. clearly. Yeah. Spelling. Yeah. Like if you can't get that much together, we don't care what you have to say. Yeah, Unless, like, you have a <laughs> 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 I'm a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right well good night all right <laughs> thank you each and every one for joining us today we would love to continue this conversation with you on our patreon linked slack channel we have the patreon so that for once the trolls will have to pay a toll to spew obscenities and call us prostitutes but we want to cultivate a community there that we can grow towards in-person, real-life friendships. Please share the podcast with someone you think will like it. And if you liked it, please rate it on iTunes or wherever. If you did not like it, please keep your opinions to yourself. Also, please pray for us. Thanks and talk with you all soon. Bye.